Well, good morning. <coughs> uh, my name's Andrew. Uh, it's my privilege to open this part of God's Word uh, with us this morning. Uh, and first, let's pray. Our Lord and God, before the mountains were born, before you created the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And your word, O Lord, endures forever. Please give us ears to hear and hearts to understand this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, whenever I have the opportunity, I love to look at the horizon, whether it's the perfectly flat line of the ocean at the beach or some bobbly hills and mountains in the distance. I love looking at the horizon. Uh, During university days, I used to work at an Indian restaurant delivering their food around Canberra. And uh, I loved the summertime because I'd often get to drive into the sunset, looking at the sunset over the hills in the distance, listening to classic rock music with the windows down. Uh, it was a fun job. And I still remember all those, those sunset horizons. Uh, last week, John mentioned his computer background, that he'd made it a tree to, make, to remind him of the tree planted by streams of living water in Psalm 1. Well, I'll, I'll also show you my computer background, which you might guess is a horizon. Uh, this is a picture I took uh, in Victoria on the way up to Mount Hotham. I went there for some skiing with some friends, and we were just on the way up. This wasn't at the top or anything, but we, we looked out the window. Oh, wow, that's a good view. Let's just pull over and enjoy that for a few minutes. And there's something about seeing the horizon, isn't there, that that kind of brings you out of the immediate. It it helps you see beyond what's right in front of you. It gives you a a greater perspective. If I were to ask you, what's on your horizon? What's coming up for you? What, What are the big things coming up in your life in the next weeks, months, year? Perhaps you've got some exams or assignments due coming up. Perhaps there's an important deadline at work, a busy period. Or maybe you're starting a new job, moving locations. A work conference coming up, a family holiday to look forward to. Maybe there's a baby about to arrive. And as Joe said, you need, need some things to get ready. These things are all incredibly significant parts of our lives, aren't they? But there's a day that is coming that looms even larger, the day when Jesus will return. And the way we see that, the way we keep that on our horizon, it shapes the way we view these things in our life now. Uh, Today in our passage, Peter calls us to look ahead to this horizon, to, to have this in our minds because it shapes the way we view the present. Jesus could return any day, so he calls us to be ready every day. So today we're going to have a good long look at that horizon and let it shape the way we view the present. And we'll look at it in these kind of three questions. You might see them on your outline. Three questions about the day of the Lord. So firstly, why hasn't he come yet? It's been 2,000 years since Jesus ascended to heaven. Why hasn't he come yet? This is a question that the scoffers were 
asking in the last passage, in verse 5 and around there. Some people scoff at the idea of Jesus returning to judge. Where is he? Is he still coming? You know, as if they're at a bar waiting for a mate who's forgotten. They deliberately forget, it says in verse 5, that when God says something, when God makes a promise, it always comes true. Because of the delay in Jesus returning, they scoff, these false teachers scoff at the idea of Jesus returning to judge. But God's word is true and his promises are reliable. And as we read on, we'll see that his perspective, God's perspective of time, this 2,000 years that has passed, is completely different to ours. Have a look at verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. You and I, we live in a world bound up by time. But God, he is eternal. He's outside of time. Our sense of time is completely different to his. 2,000 years for him, it's like a blink in the night. Peter Peter alludes to Psalm 90 verse 4, which says, A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. That's Psalm 90. It's all about how God is eternal and we humans are temporary. Peter kind of takes it a bit of a step further. He highlights our impatience. Sure, we're temporary, but we also seem to be a bit impatient when it comes to time. We see, we look back and see it's 2,000 years since Jesus went to heaven. We can think, is Jesus coming or not? Why is God so slow? But this type of response is shaped by our impatient human expectations, rather than an understanding of an eternal God. You might have seen the uh, first Lord of the Rings movie, The Fellowship of the Ring. The wizard Gandalf, quite near the start of the, the movie, he's, he's traveling along to the Shire, the place where the hobbits live, hobbits like Bilbo and Frodo. And I think it's for Bilbo's birthday. And Frodo comes up to Gandalf, he's trundling along in his little carriage, and Frodo says, you're late. And Gandalf replies with a very stern look, a wizard is never late, nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. Then they look at each other for a moment, and then they both have a a good laugh, because Gandalf, he's just saying this as a joke. He's just giving some excuse for being late. But what he says is actually completely true for the living eternal God. God is never late, nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. He will arrive precisely when he means to. We mustn't forget that God doesn't run to our schedule. He doesn't follow our calendars. So Peter says to us, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by this delay. The day is coming, and it could come any day, when God will return to judge. We see this in verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, 
as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Here we, here we see the reason for this delay. God is not slow, but patient. He's patiently waiting for sinners to repent so that they might not perish. For people like you and I to take up this opportunity for repentance unto life. Here we see God's kindness and mercy in the midst of his judgment. But time is running out. Just like in the days of Noah's ark, people were eating and drinking merrily, and then the waters came. God was opening the door, holding the door open for more to come in and escape the coming judgment, but he won't delay forever. One day, God's patience will end and the judgment will come. So the question, why are we still waiting for the day of the Lord? Not because he is slow, but because he is patient, desiring others to be saved. Now, there's a bit of a sense of urgency here, isn't there? Because the day will come suddenly, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. No one knows when it'll come. When people feel safe, safe from harm, and when people least expect it, Jesus will return. And it will be a very unpleasant surprise for anyone who isn't expecting it. Like arriving home and finding that your house is robbed. If we think that Jesus' return won't be today or anytime soon or not in my lifetime, the danger is that when he does return, we won't be ready. Jesus could return at any time. It could be a thousand years from now. That would just be a watch in the night for the Lord. Or it could be today. There's no knowing exactly when. So he commands us to be ready all the time. And whenever the day comes, it will be shocking. Point two. What will happen on the day of the Lord? Heaven and earth will be set on fire. It's this catastrophic picture of destruction. Verse 10, the second half of verse 10. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And then the second half of verse 12, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. And the elements will melt in the heat. You've got destruction, roaring, fire, burning, melting. This physical world, heaven and earth, as we know it, will be destroyed. It mentions the elements a couple of times, which is probably referring to the basic building blocks of the world. You know, perhaps at the time they thought of that as earth, fire, air, and water. But everything is melted down and destroyed, deconstructed. This description, it shows the destructive power of fire and flame. And here in Australia, we're quite aware of that destructive power, aren't we? All the bushfires we have in this country. I, I haven't been close to a bushfire myself But here are a few sentences I found in a news piece of how how a bushfire survivor describes their experience. 
It was pitch black at four in the afternoon. We heard the service station blow up. We could hear gas bottles from barbecues blowing up. It was just a roar and all this this constant threatening sound. It was a whole body experience. You've got the smell of the smoke, the sight of it, and then it gets dark. Then it turns orange. It's really hot and really windy. This description, it, it evokes a bit of a fear of fire, of the bushfire, because of its destructive power. And similarly for this description of the day of the Lord, there's an appropriate sense of fear being evoked by the description. And even more so by the end of verse 10. Have have a look. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. This is to say that anything, everything that anyone has ever done on earth, everyone's actions, your actions, my actions, will be laid bare. All our deeds exposed before a holy God. God sees everything. And on this day, he will bring justice, purifying the world from all unrighteousness. Because when when bushfire season comes, right, there, there are these advertisements saying, are you ready? Are you prepared? And likewise, when we see this picture of the day of the Lord, we should ask, Am I ready? Am I prepared? If if Jesus came back today, would I be ready? If all I have done in my life was laid bare before God, am I ready for that reality? Because the only way to be ready for that day is to cling to Jesus and to say some of the words that we just sung in How Deep the Father's Love. His dying breath has brought me life. His wounds have paid my ransom. Because on that day, our only hope to stand before a holy God is to trust in what Jesus has done. As someone has said, the only safe place is where the fire has already been. Jesus has already suffered the wrath and judgment of God. The only safe place on this day is in Christ. To prepare for bushfire season is one thing, but much more important and urgent is to prepare for the day of the Lord. So are you ready? If this is something that has stirred your heart, that you might need to prepare and get ready for, that you haven't been ready for before, Please, please come have a chat to someone after me or Dave or Janet, someone you came with, because we'd love to help you make sure you're ready. Now, thankfully, there's more to the day of the Lord than destruction. Have a look at verse 13. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. There is destruction. Yes, but there's also renewal. There's judgment, but there's also salvation. God will make everything new. He'll bring about the new heavens and the new earth, the place where righteousness dwells. You might have seen a picture of a blackened eucalyptus tree, gum tree after a bushfire, with these green little shoots coming out the side. 
that, that can remind us of that, this, this renewal that's coming after the destruction. Along with the warning of judgment here, we've got this assurance, this hope of renewal. If it, if it wasn't here, it wouldn't really be a day to look forward to, would it? But because of the renewal, we look forward to this day. We wait eagerly and expectantly. We wait eagerly and expectantly for this home of righteousness, the place where there's no more injustice, there's no more sin or consequences of sin. It's the place where Jesus, the righteous one, is now seated at the right hand of God. That sounds like the place to be. Now, a question might come to mind as we think about this new creation. Is it kind of brand new, you know, outweigh the old and just replace it with a brand new version, as if God annihilates the present world and just starts again from scratch? Or is it a renewed version of the current world? Well, it's not 100% clear either way, but it seems to me to be more of a renewal of what's presently here. And the main reason from this passage is, is that the word used for destruction a few times, it's not necessarily talking about that complete annihilation, chuck it in the trash bin, but to dissolve or deconstruct something. Maybe the way you might destroy an object by breaking it into pieces. Although it's destroy in the NIV, the ESV has dissolve. And this is because it's not usually translated as destroy in the Bible. You know, one other place it is, is when Jesus says about his death and resurrection, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. That's in John chapter 2 verse 19. Destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. And what happens to Jesus' body? He's raised again. He's brought back to life. His body is changed. It's new. But there's some continuity with his old body. There's still the holes in his hands and his side from his death. And this idea of renewal of the new creation, it also fits with some other passages, like Romans 8 and 1 Corinthians 15, which indicate a degree of continuity between the old and the new. So perhaps we could imagine this this scene as the world burning, being melted by fire, but then out of the ashes and the molten goop, God makes the new heavens and the new earth where the old order of things has passed away. There's no more pain, no more suffering, no more crying, no more sin. This, this sin and unrighteousness have been burned off like the impurities when gold is refined. And the result, the home of righteousness. So that's what will happen on the day of the Lord. Destruction by fire and then renewal. But let's now ask the question that Peter asks in verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? This horizon that that we must look at, this day that's coming, it's clearly connected to the way we ought to live now. It's foolish to try and separate them. And here's how we ought to live, continuing on in verse 11. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. We'll have a quick look at the two parts of the way we ought to live, being holy and godly, and then the waiting and speeding. 
looking forward to the day? Well, firstly, being holy and godly. What's that? It's being set apart for God, being devoted to Him, drawing near to Him, becoming more like Him, knowing that this world is to be destroyed. We ought to be devoted to, to what's, what's to come. We ought to live our lives wholeheartedly devoted to God, not, not flirting with the desires of this world because they are destined for destruction. And secondly, the picture of waiting and speeding the day of the Lord shows this posture of eager expectation, looking forward to the day that's to come because it will be the fulfillment of God's promises, the complete fulfillment. Getting rid of sin and evil, ushering in the new heavens and the new earth, the day when we'll see Jesus face to face. We wait for the day, but we don't wait passively, we wait actively. We're told to speed the day. I wonder what that means. Although God is the one in complete control of the day when he'll return, we're told here to make it come quicker somehow. How does that work? Well, like in other purposes of God, there's a tension between God's sovereignty and our human responsibility. God chooses the day when the day will come, but yet we can speed its coming. Now, one clear way to speed its coming is to pray. To pray, your kingdom come. Come, Lord Jesus. If God's to answer that prayer, we are speeding his coming. Another way, I think, is to engage in his kingdom work and by living godly lives. Because individual Christians, each one of us, are new creations in Christ, we point towards this this final new creation. And perhaps as as more and more people become new creations, that's in a sense working towards the new creation we see. Since the day of the Lord is coming, we ought to live holy and godly lives, waiting for the day and speeding its coming. Now, as I was thinking about it, this waiting time, I think it's a bit similar to an engaged couple waiting to be married. And this is an analogy that the Bible uses. The Bible speaks about us as us, the church, as the bride of Christ, waiting for the wedding day, that, that wedding feast when we will finally enjoy perfect relationship with him. So until then, do we flirt with other suitors? Do we dabble in desires of this world, pursuing things like comfort or pleasure or success? No way. We are Christ's bride, holy and dearly loved, set apart, so we ought to be devoted to him and exclusively his. And while we wait, we grow closer to him and become more like him. And then thinking about the waiting and the speeding, how might an engaged couple view their wedding day if they really do love each other? Are they, are they reluctant, kind of tiptoeing towards it? No, they're eagerly excited for it. They're counting down the days. They don't want to stay in engagement state any longer. They want to be married. They look forward to the wedding day and they spend all their energy 
speeding its coming, getting prepared, getting ready for the day. Brothers and sisters, we are Christ's church, his beloved holy bride, eagerly awaiting this day that is to come. So let's make sure we are ready and work towards the day. May we live holy and godly lives until the day he returns. Having, Having that on our horizon, so that it shapes the way we live now. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your promises. We thank you that they are trustworthy and true. Thank you for this day we have to look forward to. Please give us a clear vision of the day of your return. May we not be found unprepared. Help us to be ready And Lord, help us to live holy and godly lives by your spirit while we eagerly await your return. We pray this in Jesus' name.